Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. I am welcoming back a friend of the show, Erica Schultz. She is here to talk about Forgotten Home. It is a trade paperback coming out from Dark Horse on April 5th. Um, she will be also talking about her new series, Bylines in Blood. She, um, this is a series that she's co-writing with, um, um, with Van Jensen. It is an Aftershock comic. Issue 2 is out in stores right now, and, and Issue 3 will be out on March 16th. Um, and also, too, we'll be also talking about her original graphic novel, The Deadliest Bouquet, um, that is now available to buy from her website. Erica, welcome back. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Thank you so much. Aloha. Thank you for having me back. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming back. This is so awesome. Um, now, you know, if you are a new listener to the show, please check out my first interview with Erica. Um, that came out last year. It was um, Comics for Fun and Profit, episode 642, dated May 29th, 2021. And also check out one of her recent interviews with John Centris of Word Balloon that was dated um, January 18th. So, all right, so Erica, where can listeners follow you on social media? Um, I am mostly on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I don't really have a Facebook presence. So my Twitter is uh, Erica Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-T-Z 42. And my Instagram is Erica Schultz Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. And my website is ericaschultzwrites.com. Um, so if there's any books you want to pick up, you can stop by the shop there and, uh, and send me a link. Okay. All right. Now, you know, listeners, we're just going to jump right in. You know, we're going to, I'm just going to start off, uh, we're going to start talking about Forgotten Home. So Erica, just for the listeners, what is the story about? Um, the easiest way to sum it up is um, while invest, I wrote it down, while investigating child abductions in Montana, a deputy is drawn back to her home world where she fled a civil war and renounced her claim to the throne. So um, it's basically about a young woman named um, Lorraine who is a refugee. She looks human, but she's not. And she, um, she flees her home world of Janata and comes to earth and makes a life for herself here. And she, is, she joins the army, she's a soldier. She ends up being a police officer. She has a daughter named uh, Joanna and then while she's investigating, uh, you know, what she thinks to be an earth-based crime, uh, she finds out through her investigation that there are links to her home and it brings her back to uh, a place that she fled and sort of the consequences of her actions of fleeing, you know, 15 years earlier. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, um, let's see. Now, um, how did you come up with this story? Um, so when the movie Frozen first came out, uh, everybody was, you know, really enthralled with that. And I, I mean, I understand, but I didn't really get it. So I said, I, as a joke, I want to make sort of the anti-Frozen, you know, about two sisters that hate each other and want to kill each other. Yes. Um, so, uh, I, I started working on that and the story started going in two different directions. So um, I sort of cut some of it out and pushed it aside for another story that I'm working on. And then uh, the, the other bits that I sort of, you know, cobbled together were the, 
beginnings of what became Forgotten Home. Mm-hmm. And then I just started building building from there. Oh, okay. Now, because like, now, I, you've already talked about some of the main characters, but one of the main characters, like you said, you know, um, that there, there, there are two sisters um, in, in, on J- Janata, is that correct? Am I pronouncing Janata, it? yeah. Okay. Because the sisters, one of the sisters was Queen Carlista. Carlista and yeah. her sister Ronnie. Is it Ronnie? Rainy? Ronnie, yeah, who was the princess, but then after Carlista dies, she becomes the queen, yeah. yeah. And now also too, um, also too, because um, I'm going to let you explain, because Ronnie has ties to Lorraine and Joanna. Can you explain that for our listeners? Yes. Um, Ronnie, Joanna, and I, I always talk about how this is a story about three generations. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it is. So Ronnie, Joanna, and Lorraine. Ronnie is the grandmother. So she's Lorraine's mother. And then Lorraine is Joanna's mother. So it's literally three generations of women um, who all have these incredible responsibilities and how they deal with them in very different ways. Yes. So Ronnie is the, currently the queen. And uh, Joanna is her granddaughter, and she had never met her granddaughter mm-hmm. uh, because when Lorraine fled, um, she made sure that Joanna would never come back and 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 visit, you know, where she really came from. So basically, when Ranny first meets, well, first when when Ranny sees Lorraine after fifteen years, there's this sort of mix of emotions. Um, but when Ranny first meets her daughter. Joanna, she sees an opportunity um, because Joanna doesn't know anything about Janata. She doesn't know anything about, you know, the history, the the despotic queen or any of that. So she uses it as an opportunity to sort of rewrite history um, and sort of just tell Joanna the bits that she needs to know to sort of get her on her side. Um, so then it sort of turns into this sort of two against one. Um, and, you know, Lorraine is also sort of dealing with penance because, you know, she left 15 years earlier and she didn't just, you know, tie up all loose ends and leave. She literally like left in the middle of the night. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and she had a fiance and Mm -hmm. she was a general in an army that she literally left without a leader. And, Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of there were a lot of things that happened uh, because of her, you know, in, in her mind, leaving for self-preservation, but in other people's minds, leaving for being being selfish and leaving. Yeah. Um, um, I'm not going to give too much away about, you know, Queen Ronnie, you know. Um, She's evil. She's the evil oh, queen. But she, oh, no, but it's not, it's not just... But the thing is, it's not that she's not just, to me, when I was reading the story, she's not just, yeah, yes, okay, she's you, okay, but, but she won't give second thoughts about what she needs to do, because I mean. Yeah, she's very, she's very focused, she's very myopic, yeah. She'll just take care of things, you know, I'm not going to. She's a great project manager. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Um, oh my God. But, uh, okay. I, I, because I don't want to say too much because I'm going to probably give stuff away. So I'm just going to go to the questions. How much fun did you have writing, um, Queen, um, Ronnie? How much fun did you have? Um, I, I, I sort of, I had a good time writing her because 
her personality is do what I say or get out of my way. Yes. And her personality is basically, I'm going to get what I want. You uh, have two, two options. You either help me or you get trampled on. Yeah. But I'm still going to get what I want. And, and that sort of focused energy uh, is, is very interesting uh, to, to write because in her mind, she is 100% right at all times. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is nothing that anybody can say that will deter her from her goal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, I mean, she is very self-righteous. Yes. And she's also incredibly powerful because the royal family in Janata has magic. Mm-hmm. And so she is incredibly powerful. So not only does she have this mindset of this is what I want, but she has the means with which to achieve it simply through her, her physical prowess and her powers. Okay. So, and then um, I'm going to kind of do a little variation on one of my questions. Sure. Um, it's like you said that, you know, the, it's like the Royal family and correct me if I'm wrong, like, like the Royal family is the one that ha- has the mat the, ha- is the one that has the match that has the magical powers, correct? Um, all the children in Janata from okay. a certain age, from about the age of six to about the age of eighteen or nineteen, will have magic. Okay. But once you get to a certain age, you no longer have magic. So the only adults yeah. that have magic in Janata are the royals. Royals are the only ones who have magic throughout, and they're the ones who are born with um, with that birthmark of yes. which I. I have tattooed on my arm. Yeah, it's, it's that. It's a purple. It's like a. It, yeah. You, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it because all I could think of it was like a, it's like a purple fireball. Uh, well, yeah, because so it, it actually it's it it works twofold. So, the whole thing. Um, one of the questions that I saw that you were going to ask was about like having a Bible. I have a Bible, and basically. Yeah sort of the Bible for the story is that like 60,000 years ago, uh, the Janadans and the Chalumbans were very, very similar and they lived together in harmony and a comet fell from the sky. And so if you look at it like this, it's a comet descending. And if you, but you also see the flame ascending. Yes. So a comet fell from the sky and, uh, as it fell and hit the ground, it bore a hole through the ground. Uh-huh. And when it did, it exposed the crystal, the Elysia. Because yes. at the time, they had not, no idea that it was there. Uh-huh. Think about like cavemen. You know, they didn't know what was there. Yeah. Um, and it exposed the Elysia. And once they were exposed to it, they started um, mutating. Uh-huh. And so the Chalumbans started mutating to the point where their skin got very hard and rocky yes. and they became very like physically hard. Uh-huh. And the uh, Janadans started having magic. And uh-huh. so certain people started being born with this birthmark. Yes. And they realized that the ones that were being born with this birthmark were the ones that continued to have magic into adulthood. Uh-huh. So it was sort of this almost... I don't know if you would call it like divine right, but, but they sort of societally, they decided that divine right, you know, obviously there's something special about you if you're born with this mark. Yes. Um, so you're going to be royalty mm-hmm. and you're the ones who are going to be the leaders. Mm-hmm. So now every generation, um, you know, uh, uh, the royal line, you have to have, mm-hmm. you have to be born with this. Yes. And so 
when Rani uh, has Lorraine, one of the things, you know, and the baby's being brought to her, she says, does she have the mark? Yes, she has the mark. When uh, Joanna is born, she yeah. has the mark. And it's, I mean, it's and anywhere on your body, you know, Carlista had it right over her eye. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so if you have the mark, then that means that you are going to have magic throughout your entire life and that you are now an heir to the throne. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, um, now I, I know because I saw your email and like, I'm, I'm just going to ask like, you know, and you already talked about a, the Bible and a Bible for, you know, the background for the story. Like for our listeners, can you tell like, you know, um, for like Ronnie and um, Lorraine, what, you know, their magical powers, what can their magical powers do? They, they're kind of like Green Lantern in a sense where they can like create constructs, they yeah. can use them for um, telekinesis, uh, for like moving things, um, they can create shields, uh, they can also sort of use them as like force bolts. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, to, a, to a small extent, they can uh, have uh, a telepathic um, hold on people. Yes. So, uh, so for some, you know, if, if you really concentrate and you're very good at what you do and you're very powerful, you may be able to put a telepathic, uh, you know, put thoughts in somebody's head mm -hmm. to, sort of, uh, to sort of sway them and manipulate them to doing what you want. Yes. Uh, and and that is that's something that not everybody can do, but it's very very difficult. And, and we we see Lorraine try and do it. Yes. Uh, at one point in the in the story. You know which part you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. But for the most part, it's a lot like the Green Lantern powers. This idea of like you have this energy uh -huh. that extends from you, that you can create weapons, you can create uh, uh, shields, you uh -huh. can, you know create all kinds of like little fun things uh and things like that ah, okay um let's see um and I'm gonna, how did you come up with a different race or caste system i i, I mean you're explaining i know you explained that you know when the meteor fell and you know and then you know it mutated you know one one group of you know people but how did you come up with that idea or well i mean there's there's a lot of, you know, in society on earth, you know, in, in the real world, there's a lot of these sort of caste systems, whether mm -hmm. they're um, based on, you know, skin tone, yes. um, whether they're based on, you know, you know, how, how rich someone is or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of these sort of caste systems that already exist in mm -hmm. the world in general. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of, you know, played off of that. Mm -hmm. This idea of there will always be someone on top and there will always be somebody on the bottom. And a lot of times the people on the stupid, I hope, sorry. Oh, why are you sorry? Cut that? that out. It was, it was, I got a, a, a spam call. Oh, no, it's in the right. middle of it. Drew, cut that all out. Okay. No, I, I, we'll just keep, are you okay if we just keep it in? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, we're fine. Um, just, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I just sort of, I, I, I played off of that, of, mm -hmm. of that idea of, you know, a caste system. And in this case, it's a matter of like a magical caste system kind of thing, you know. So the Janadans have magic and they, they're very tall and thin and lithe, whereas the Chalambans are, you know, um, they're very uh, physically strong and imposing, 
but they're like made of rocks, uh-huh. you know? So uh, it's like, you know, like Korg basically. Uh-huh. Um, and so they're seen as uh, less technological. They're seen uh-huh. as, um, you know, they live in more, in a more natural kind of environment, you know, like their homes are made out of like caves and things like that. Whereas the Janadans live in these incredibly uh, futuristic um you know, palaces and things like that, you know, so instead of being like, oh, it's just a different way of living, it's no, they have to be less technological and less educated and less this, you know, um, so there's always that, that sort of notion just anywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, in the world. So I just sort of borrowed that idea. Mm -hmm. And and, um, because, because it's, it's, it's very good when I was reading through the whole story, it's very obvious, and it's, and, you know, um, yeah, yeah, like I say, it's just very good, I, I, because I'm trying not to say too much about the story, or review too much, so. Um, I do have to say, I do have to give a shout out to Kevin Maher, who is the one who created the logo, and created the, the flame logo, for, uh, for the book, that is such an important part of that, and uh, Kevin and I went to college together, and we've known each other, like, you know, 30 years, uh-huh. Um, so I wanted to just give him a shout out. No, that's great. Now, since you're giving shout outs, um, who is the creative team on your book and how did you, you know, get them all together on the book? Um, Marika Cresta is the, uh, line artist and she's the one who, uh, really, you know, leaned into a lot of the sort of Ralph McQuarrie, Sid Mead, um, uh, references that I gave her. Um, and she, she's currently working on, uh, Captain Carter for Marvel. Um, she's just, you know, a fantastic artist. And I, I saw some of her work online and I reached out to see if she was available and, and she's been so wonderful to work with. Um, and she really brought a, she, she knew how to sort of meld this classic medieval, aesthetic with a little renaissance with a little you know futuristic Sid Mead Ralph McQuarrie kind of aesthetic and just sort of meld them all together in a really uh, uh, plausible kind of way Um, and she's really she really did an amazing job Matt Emmons was uh, our colorist on it um, and it was like one of the first projects really that he was working on that wasn't one of his own projects um, so, you know, we, we put him to his, through his paces, but he did a great job. Uh, Card- Cardinal Raids at the Letters. Um, and the book, I mean, it was eight issues when we put it out originally through Comixology Originals. And we really, you know, we were very, very proud of the book. And in 2020, we got five Ringo nominations for it. So it was nominated for Best Series. Uh, best writer, best anchor, best letters, and best cover. Mm-hmm. Natasha Altarici did the uh, did all the individual issue covers, the monthly covers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, we were so proud of this book. Um, and then when we were told that there was going to be a print version coming out, mm-hmm. we were just thrilled because we really wanted to, you know, get it in our hands. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so yeah, the trade paperback came out digitally, and uh-huh. then uh, they're they're releasing the print version through Dark Horse now. 
before I touch on the cover artist for the print version, um, I just want to say, you know, um, uh, and you said, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, Matt Emmons was your colorist, correct? Yes. Because and of, Natasha Altarici is our cover artist for the, the single issues. Um, because I love the colors on Janata. I mean, it looks so beautiful. Um, it, it, it's, because when I was reading it, it was like, it was just very, to me, the colors were very bright. And no, and that's, you know, there's nothing wrong. It was just nice. It was just bright. Yeah. But then I kept going, this is so cool. This is, these are beautiful pages, but I'm kind of going, but the story-wise, it's like, it kind of sort of hides a dark, deep secret. You know, and, and it, it, that's the thing is like the colors are bright and sort of like very warm, but yeah. the, but the, some of the characters are extremely cold and calloused, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it sort of has this like, you know, um, it, it, it's this, it's this sort of like hiding, um, what's the word? It's, it's, it's kind of like a, a subterfuge kind of thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then, um, let's see. Um, and then Marika, you know, like I think in issue two, either the second or third page when we see. I'm gonna the say, tower. Yeah. Oh my God. That is beautiful. Because I'm going, oh my God, that that is, you know, it, it you know, it, it, yeah, it's just one of those where it's like, you know, it, it, this looks like it could be from, you know, one of those science fiction, you know, one of those nice futuristic science fiction movies. It was great. And yeah, then, she's a, she's a trained architect. So, I mean, she, she really knew how to, how to bring this, this, um, this aesthetic to the, to the story. Um, and I, you know, and I said, just, you know, lean in, do, do whatever you want, make it as, as uh, futuristic as you want. And, you know, as sort of medieval with some, you know, Renaissance, you know, I mean, and we literally, we were just sort of pulling reference from different time periods, you know, like very, like very European Renaissance, you know, Western European Renaissance, and you know this that and the next thing and just sort of melding them all together and she really you know she really did a great job with it well she really did and let's see i was also going to mention wow i yeah i don't even well anyway i was going to mention i think it was an issue number six or seven there's some. There's a close up. There's a close up of Lorraine's face. She's in the dungeon facing Joanna. There's a close up of Lorraine. There's like two panels of close ups of her face, and I thought Marika nailed it because there was like a Terry Dotson vibe to it. It was like oh my. It was oh my god. Yeah, yeah. There she she was very good at the acting. There's a lot of emotion in this book. I mean, I mean, there is action and everything, but there's, there are a lot of emotional moments because you're dealing with family and you're dealing with, um, you know, Lorraine confronting her past. You're dealing with Rani confronting Lorraine and Joanna feeling as if her mother's been lying to her. Mm -hmm. And then you're also dealing with, you know, when Lorraine comes back to Janata, um, you know, her ex-fiance that she literally left like in the middle of the night. It's like, oh, hey, nice to see you again. Haven't seen you in a while, you know, kind of thing. Um, so, it, you know, there's a lot of emotion 
in this story. And I think um, I was talking about it on another podcast and I said, I think Trader is kind of like, you know, the unsung hero because he's, he's the one who's got, he's like the fiercest warrior that they have, but he's also the one who's like, who wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, the story has so much, the thing I love about your writing in this story is it has so, and I, because I, because when we, I was emailing you the revised questions and I'm not going to give it away, but there's so many layers. Like you said, you know, it's a generational thing. The tie into the missing kids on earth ties into this. And it's like, whoever reads it's going to go, Oh my, they can see the parallels in certain things. Yeah. But it's, and what's nice about, um, the story is with each issue, you know, um, each layer is revealed slowly and it's very nice. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, there were, we had pitched it to a couple of publishers who had wanted it to be a five issue series. And I could have, I could have turned around and said, okay, we're going to cut it down and make it a five issue series. But I think that a lot of the depth of the story and a lot of the, the characters that we check in with, you know, you wouldn't have been able to have the, the, the relationship between Trudaire, Carol and Lorraine. You wouldn't have been able to show Deco and his journey and you wouldn't have really been able to, to see what's going on in Janata and how the society is. Mm-hmm. If we had just done it in five issues, if we did it in five issues, it would be a quick five issues. Yes. And I think the main story would be there, but a lot of the extras, a lot of the richness that really, I think, helps the story along and helps sort of with the emotional journey of all of the characters yes. is, is what we were able to explore in the eight issues. So I was really thankful to Comixology Originals for letting us go the eight issues, whereas everybody else was like, no, we want five issues. You know, it makes a nice tidy trade paperback. And we were like, no, but it needs needs more. Yeah. Um, Let me just point out here is that um, because um, there's one scene I like, and it's in, I believe it's in issue eight. Um, I'm not going to tell people where the scene is, but I think you'll know where I'm talking about. And it's, you know, it's the two side characters, you know, and I love, I'm going to try to pronounce it, is it Bajek and Dagal? Dagal? I, I say it Bajek and Dagal. Like, okay. And in all honesty, I just go to Google Translate and I just type in a word and I just start clicking through languages. And if I see a word that I think looks cool, I'll use it. Okay. You know, so... <laughs> So, like, that's how I basically come up with a lot of the names. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like Trader is, is um, I, I was on a podcast for, um, I was on Crimson Maher, and he's, uh, he speaks Arabic, and he said that, uh, the, now the word that I used uh, to describe Trader, who is somebody who has no magic, never had magic even yes. as a child, um, I said Kamel. Uh-huh. But apparently it's pronounced Hamel and it is, it's Arabic and it means inert. Wow. Because So what I did was I just sort of typed that in uh-huh. and I wanted to see, you know, something that would mean somebody who's ineffective, who's inert, which is, which is ironic because uh, Trader is incredibly uh, capable. Mm-hmm. Just, but he, in, in their society, he's more or less considered disabled because he's never had magic. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
but he is capable and he, you know, is very, you know, well-read and well-studied and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I just sort of pick words from different languages that I think, you know, sound interesting and, and either use those for names or for other things. So that's so cool because it's pretty nice that the, you, you peppered it throughout the series, you know, throughout the, yeah. you know, it, it's really cool because it kind of shows that, you know, they have their own language. And I love it how I think Queen um, Rani made a comment to um, Joanne about, I don't understand your lexicon. What do you say? Yeah. You know? yeah. When Joanna, when Joanna's, you know, talking like, you know, a typical, you know, Gen Z kid, yeah. you know, you say, calling people asshats and saying yeah. all this other stuff. And she's like, I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to real quickly. Um, the two side characters, I love their interaction was because it, it, to me, it showed that their love for each other. And it's like, um, um, you know, Bajak says, you know, I thought you were lost. And the guy says, I'm sorry to say you're stuck with me. It, yeah. Just, you know. It they just, were fun to write. Yeah. They, I think everybody knows that couple that are so close and love each other so much that they tease each other and mm -hmm. they, you know, and they say things to each other. And everybody's like, how could you say that? That's so mean. It's like, no, you don't understand. Like, this is how we show our love and affection. You know, like, Bajek made a comment about like, you know, they, they, they told me you were lost and I said, okay, forget it. You know, we're not going to come looking for you, you know, kind of thing. Like, okay, oh, well, cut my losses kind of thing. You know, so we all know that, that kind of couple, mm -hmm. but you know, when they're literally standing on the front lines of the war and the battle's about to begin, you know, they're holding hands and, and together as a united front. So I wanted, um, they're, they're a little bit of a, uh, you know, comic relief. But also they have, you know, they have a deep love for each other and a deep okay. caring for each other. Um, and, you know, they, they understand the, how crazy and messed up the sociopolitical environment is there. Yeah. And they do their best to navigate it as best they can. And also to try and find a way to, you know, integrate everybody together. Like, they're on the side of like integration, whereas Rani's on the side of like, not just like segregation, but like annihilation almost, you know what I mean? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, let's see, a um, couple more questions before I move on to the next topic. Um, um, who came up with the beautiful um, royal patterns on Queen Rani's and Joanne's dresses in issue six? That um, was nice. That was very. There is a fantastic, fantastic designer named Yazel Ayala. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, I've known them for, for years and they have always, you know, their sort of dream is to, you know, be the designer for all the, you know, kind of like Edna Mode from, uh, from The Incredibles. Yes. It's kind of like their dream job kind of thing. So I, I had reached out to them and they said, look, um, you know, we're going kind of all over the place with this aesthetic, you know, see, see what you can come up with. And what they did was they created a pattern mm -hmm. for uh, both Lorraine, Joanna and Ronnie, and they created uh -huh. these, these patterns. And 
the uh, Joanna's especially, that pattern is then not just on that dress that she wears, but it's also on on her battle uniform. Okay. Um, so it, I mean, they did like the whole, you know, fashion drawing thing uh -huh. and everything. Um, and I actually, in the back of the trade paperback, you can see uh, Yassel's original designs and, you know, Marika and, uh, and Matt's renderings of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Yazelle did such an incredible job and, uh, and really knocked it out. Uh, and a couple of friends of mine have said, like a couple of friends who are cosplayers have said, is there any way I can get a pattern for that? Or something like, I'd love to make that dress. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll hook you up with Yazelle. Yeah. You guys can talk, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty amazing, uh, what they did with it. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Um, actually two last questions um for the um uh, the trade that's going to come out in april how did you guys get bill senkevich to do the cover art um i've known bill for a good amount of years uh when i used to work at a studio in new york mm -hmm. um and i have you know kept in touch with him and he's always been such an incredibly uh supportive colleague and friend um, so I've, you know, I reached out to him on, on numerous occasions for covers. I mean, he did the trade paperback cover for 12 Devils Dancing, uh, which is a horror story that I did with Dave Acosta and, uh, Andrew Kovald. Mm -hmm. Um, so I reached out for him about this cover. It's funny because when I was, when we launched, uh, Forgotten Home in, uh, 2019 with, uh, comicsology. I had mentioned to one of the comicsology people, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna have Bill Sienkiewicz do the trade cover," and they're like, "Yeah, whatever." So I, you know, I thought to myself, "I was like, okay." So I went up to Bill at, uh, you know, Bill's table at New York Comic Con, and I was like, "Hey, babe, do do me a favor when you have a second, swing by the comicsology table with me." And he came by, and you know, Bill's just a, an incredible person, and you know, he just puts his arm around me, and goes, "He's like, so when am I doing this cover?" I was like, "Yeah, I know Bill Sienkiewicz. And, and he's, you know, he's an absolute, incredible, uh, talented, skilled, hardworking, amazing human being, artist, creator. Um, and I'm really very lucky to have him in my corner. So, yeah, I mean, I was, I was very happy to, to work with Bill again. And of course, you know, he makes beautiful art. So I was, I was really very, very happy with the cover. That is so cool. All right, so my last question is, um, you know, um, will we see any more stories about Lorraine and Joanna? I'm hoping. Okay. I'm hoping. Um, I have a lot on my plate right now, mm -hmm. uh, but I am hoping to go back to, uh, there are plenty of other stories. I mean, there are, there's sort of the untold stories of what happened, you know, J Lorraine left, but what happened when she left, mm -hmm. you know? Um, you know, there's sort of dialogue lines about what happened, but, but no real exploration of that. So that would be fun too. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to continue. I'm going to move on. Um, we're going to talk about bylines in blood. Yes. Um, I read issue one literally this morning. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so for our listeners, can you tell us what is the story about? 
Um, so Bylines in Blood is about Satya Chatterjee, who is a, uh, a former investigative journalist uh, turned, um, uh, turned private investigator. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's in the future uh, to the point where it's probably, we said it's probably a good five to seven years into the future. Mm -hmm. The irony is that there's a big pandemic that happens. Um, yes. And um, Van and I came up with this concept back in like early 2019. So everybody's like, oh yeah, they're totally leaning into the COVID pandemic. No, we came up with this idea before COVID. Um, so uh, because of the pandemic and a lot of the sort of disinformation and misinformation, yes. a lot of people societally do not trust anything. They don't trust any type of media. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of the, the real, what we would consider sort of reputable newspapers cratered. Mm -hmm. and shuttered and Satya was working for the Herald yes um and we and we give it a it's just the city we don't say it's New York we don't say it's Los Angeles it's sort of this generic idea um and she had a mentor at the Herald named Denzen and um when she uh you know when she left and everybody lost their job Denzen wanted to say you know we're going to create our own newspaper and she said, no, she's like, I, I can't do this anymore. She went off and became a private investigator. Um, and he did, he continued uh, putting out his own newspaper and he sort of stumbled on a, um, a, a pretty crazy conspiracy that was going on. And unfortunately it got him killed. So when Satya learns of Denzin's death and she hadn't spoken to him for several years um, she then makes it her mission to find out who killed him why and to bring them to justice oh, okay um like I said I know you guys um so okay I know you came up with the story like in 2019 um let's see let me see um um how did I'm going to ask like and this these are probably like a couple process questions like mm -hmm. you know um, how you know how did you and Van Jensen team up with the series I mean did you know like was it over like a Zoom we, meeting or hey what if like we actually it, it started out as like a joke that we were just sort of joking on Twitter about um, and Van and I had known each other tangentially when he was doing Green Lantern over at DC uh -huh. um, and. So we were sort of just joking on Twitter. Um, and then we jumped into each other's DMs and we were like, you know what, there actually might be something to this, you know, funny little ha ha joke. Mm -hmm. There might be something to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, let's, let's get on the phone, you know, next week kind of thing and, and work it out. And so we started going back and forth. Um, and then we said, okay, who do we know that as an artist that can pull this off? Yeah. And I had known a Nikkei from uh, Red Sonia from when I was uh, lettering uh, over at Dynamite. Uh -huh. And I knew, I knew her work from Red Sonia. And I knew she was working on Catwoman at the time. Uh -huh. And we wanted someone who could do a lot of dark inks, yes. but not make it look messy. Mm -hmm. I think what happens sometimes is if you have a page that's got a lot of ink on it, sometimes you can't tell what's going on. Mm -hmm. But yes. with a Nikkei, 
there's still, there's a lot of ink on the page, but you can still see everything mm -hmm. and everything is very clear. And, and she really, so um, we got a, a she's in, in Spain. So mm -hmm. we had to sort of coordinate um, time zones, kind of like, you know, trying to coordinate with you. Um, so we coordinated time zones and we got on, um, we got on a call with her and she really loved the idea. And she just brought so much to the table in terms of the designs and, you know, the aesthetic and just the acting of the characters, you know, the facial expressions and the fashion and just really, I mean, she is such an integral part of us. You know, I mean, it's, it is a, it is a three-way uh, uh, creative process with the three of us, you know, like we're all creators of this um, and we are all really just invested in helping the you know everybody else on the team shine so I mean she really has done such an amazing job and she's doing colors and covers she's doing the colors. so she's she's done everything for art for this mm -hmm. so uh yeah she's she's been you know a maniac with this but it's such a you know the output is so amazing it is because and I'm going to try to hopefully I pronounce I'm sorry I'm going to try to pronounce the character the main character's name correctly Sakya is that correct? Yeah, that's that's how that's how we say it. I mean, oh. I don't know if I don't know if it's right, but that's how we say it. Sacha. The thing I love about it is the I guess like the trench coat thing because it looks like a some type of like a it's not really a dark blue, but I love how kind of like I guess like the inside lapel comes out as a nice bright yellow. The the idea behind that was that it's sort of the dark blue for the spirit and it's that yellow for Dick Tracy. So it's like you have these like two sort of very, very classic, very iconic, you know, uh, noir characters. I mean, Dick Tracy obviously is cartoonish, but still, you know, played in that, mm -hmm. in that park. And so you've, we sort of use those color wise to sort of give them a little, just a quick homage. But yeah, it's it's the spirit in Dick Tracy. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, and that yellow color for her is throughout. So in the second issue, she is wearing this uh, tuxedo, mm -hmm. and it and it uh, and it's very much based off of um, some of the clothes that ba Blake Lively wore in uh, A Simple Favor. Because if you've ever seen that movie, Blake Lively is dressed impeccably uh -huh. um and everything is like so not just classy but like really classy like <laughs> monaco classy um and and so anike took one of the the similar designs from that mm -hmm. and you know with this beautiful yellow pinstripe suit yes. uh you know this is like woman's tuxedo that just looks so gorgeous um and and so you know that yellow sort of carries us throughout and that's kind of her calling that's you know uh, Sacha's calling card throughout okay so I'm going off the cuff Erica so there's actually so I have to check out that movie find that movie check that one out um it because it's kind of sending me into a rabbit hole because um and like I said this is really off the cuff and just I'm going in a different rabbit hole um I also gotta I've never seen this movie I've always wanted to the French Connection Exactly. Oh yeah, it's a great I, film. Yeah. So yeah. It's I, a great film. 
So. Um, and it has kind of French connection vibes. Mm -hmm. Although I, I will say this, you know, off, you know, off topic, uh, when I pitched the Daredevil story that I did back in 2018, yes. I pitched it as like literally French connection with superheroes. So. That's so cool. <laughs> okay. So I'm sorry. So um, I'm going to continue on. Um, so now one question I want to ask you because you know, Sacha has not only a, a 40, a 45, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but she mm. has a hammer. Yes. I, I, I would like to know, I, I'm just asking, how, why she, I, I, why that she? Was, that was a Nikki's idea, is to have this hammer. Um, and I think the, the, the sort of idea behind it was that you could be a blunt instrument or you could be more precise. And that's it, it sort of shows the two sides of her personality so she she has the gun you know which is something that would be considered more of like a classic weapon for an investigator but then she literally has a hammer she's literally a blunt instrument that is cool that is that is really cool okay um before i move i just want to ask um one more question now correct me if i'm wrong so van jensen now I could have, if I remember John Suntress's interview, Van Jensen, was he like a crime reporter before he got into yes. it? Okay. Van used to be um, a, a crime journalist, a crime reporter okay. for a paper um, uh, in the Midwest. I want to say in the Nebraska area. I'm not entirely mm -hmm. sure, so I don't want to speak out of turn. Uh -huh. uh, but so, yeah, Van was was a reporter. So I... Uh, I told him, I said, look, you're, you're the real reporter here. I don't count my time as a, uh, a you know, running the paper in college. Yes. Um, but, um, but yeah, so he brought a lot of that sort of investigative journalist, crime reporter experience mm -hmm. to the character and to the story. And then, because if I remember correctly, he was the one that wrote like all these nice little, um, well, not back, back, but these nice little added things to the back of issue. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote the police report. He yes. wrote, um, he wrote the police report. He wrote the article on uh, Mayor Wilkes. Yes. Uh, he wrote all that stuff. I did the advertisement because, um, so there's a leitmotif throughout for this blue pill. Yes. And it's, and it's kind of a play off of, you know, Viagra and, you know, uh -huh. the little blue pill kind of thing. Yeah. And I used to work in pharmaceutical advertising. That's right. So um, I had done, so we had wanted to put some back matter in this. So we put that, I, I put together the sort of faux ad, yes. which I would have happened, you know, would have gone to a creative director, you know, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and we put that together because it's sort of this idea of, you know, people in this, and I mean, we're kind of marching toward it, but people don't want to deal with the complexities of life. They want to sort of, uh, uh, you know, switch off. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea of, you know, sometimes it's, it's good to feel blue, mm -hmm. you know, take the blue pill. It'll, you know, you know, it'll cure anything kind of thing, you know? So, yeah. But I have to say when I was reading through the first issue, I came across this like, Oh, wow. We have, drug ads now and comics and it, it took i'm gonna say it took me i was kind of going mm, okay wait wait let me because it looks i mean i i know it looks it, i mean it, it, it's what used to pay it, my bills 
Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, but I love it how you have like, you know, like what is like the actual like medical term of the pill. Yeah. The generic name Dose. of the pill. Yeah. Oh, that was great. <laughs> like I used to, I, I, I worked on Flonase, which is fluticasone propionate. I think it is mm -hmm. that would have like, so you'd see Flonase is the brand name and then it would have fluticasone propionate underneath and things like that. Um, so I wanted it to look like a, a real ad because we want this world to feel real. We want it to feel immersive. Yes. There's a lot of like leaps and bounds that we take, obviously. Um, but we think that there's technology has, has been pushed enough that it looks new and fresh, uh -huh. but not so far that it's not relatable. Like people still have phones, you know, cell phones, but they just look a little like more updated. They look a little like, uh, like maybe they're a little thinner. Maybe yes. they, you know, they're, they're, the size is a little different. They're a little more accessible, that kind of thing. Like remember when um, the, the smartphone that can fold came yeah. out like a couple months ago everybody was like oh my god it's the future you know that kind of thing you know it's it's still accessible to now in the sense that like it's still a smartphone but it can do this kind of cool thing yeah. so we wanted to to make sure that the world that we saw and the world that, that was being presented mm -hmm. um was still relatable and it didn't feel so you know 200 years into the future where nothing seems relatable um, so we wanted the audience to be able to to still sort of be like, yeah, I could see that happening in, you know, five, 10 years, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, Erica, I'm just going to ask, um, how are how are we on time? Because I got, I mean, do we, do, should we try to end in an hour or because I got some stuff or, and we can, we can if you want to keep going, we can keep going. I'm, I'm okay until 530. Okay. All right. Okay. So, all right. Um. I'm going to ask one off the cuff question is because you mentioned, um, because you mentioned, um, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce your artist's name. Uh, An Aneke. Aneke. Because yeah. she did the shirts, right? Yes. I love the shirts because there's writing on the shirt. And because at first, you know, I, I think I, I think the first shirt I misread, it was like, and then I start to see like, and then this is on issue one, like, uh, or Sadia wears one shirt where it says vigilante, or, or, or I yep. think vigilante. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So was that her idea? Yeah, she was the one who started putting all these uh, cool things on the shirts. She actually had done a shirt that um, had a logo on it that was a real thing. Mm -hmm. So we weren't... Um, oh we weren't able to use that. So it's actually at the end of, of issue two, okay. Tom will be wearing a shirt that has a picture of a cat on it that says fluff. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a photo. It's a picture of my cat, Simon. <laughs> so when, so when we weren't allowed to use the original logo of the shirt that she had originally put on, we, we did that. So, so our cat Simon makes a, uh, makes a, a cameo so, so when you go to convention and store signings are you gonna bring simon with you and oh god no he and put his paw and you know have him <laughs> in an ink and have him stamp like issue number two <laughs> no he's I, I he's he like does not he's very um 
whatchamacallit, he, he's very nervous and worrisome mm-hmm. about everything. So he's, he's definitely like afraid of his own shadow. I'm joking on this part. Um, is he going to get any, is he going to get a cut in any of the royalties? You know? Oh, he, look, the cat, he's, he's got a million medical issues. The amount of money that we spend on this cat between special food and the medications and the, all the special treats and all that stuff, he, he's gotten his own cut. Okay. Yeah, he's he's literally sleeping on the floor up against the 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 grate from the heater. Yeah. Because it's cold. Well, you're in Hawaii. It's always warm. It's cold here. I know. I've seen it. Yeah. So he's literally up against the wall, taking in all of the heat. So the rest of the room doesn't get any heat. Only he gets the heat. So. Okay. Um. All right. I'm going to move on. Um. The deadliest bouquet. Now, yes. you, know, um, you know, um, you know, I love it. I'm going to, and of course, you know, the same question again is like for the listeners, can you um, tell our listeners, what is the story about? Okay. So I made a really good log line for this. Um, let me see if I can remember it. Uh, in 1998, three estranged sisters trained by their Nazi hunting mom, come together to solve their mom's murder and try not to kill each other in the process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then can you talk about the creative team that you assembled? Yes. Uh, Corolla Borelli is the line artist. Um, Gab Contreras and Tom Chu were the colorists. Uh-huh. Um, and I did the lettering. Uh, James Emmett was the editor on it. And we had done this uh, through Kickstarter originally. So we ran a Kickstarter last summer. And, um, and we did it through that and, uh, we were successful with the Kickstarter, thank God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, we put out, uh, it, it was, uh, uh, an OGN, an original graphic novel, mm-hmm. but it was sort of broken down into kind of five chapters mm-hmm. and, uh, and we got it out to everybody before the end of the year, which I was very proud of. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it was, we had Kevin Wada do the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's Kevin Wada. I mean, come on. Uh, but yeah, he, he really was, I, I gave him all the information. Mm-hmm. I gave him all the personalities of the sisters. Yes. And, uh, and I said, you know, just whatever comes to mind. So he, the cover is, is a quiet cover in the sense that like, it's, it's kind of a calm cover, mm-hmm. but the, ex- like all the emotion and expression is on all of these women's faces. Yes. Oh, so. Because, you know, you saw my note that, you know, I love, you know, Kevin Wada's design of Poppy on the cover. It's yeah. Great. It's just, because you can see um, Violet, the, the, she's the blonde one. You know, it's like, if you just look at it, it's like, oh, she's the party animal, you know? You see she's Rose, the party girl, yeah. Yeah. You see Rose in the middle, you know, and you can tell that she's, she's the controlling, you can, for some reason, you can see she's a controlling type. Yeah. And then, well, I mean, as the oldest sister, she kind of feels like she has to, you know, keep everybody, you know, in control, make sure that everybody is doing what they need to do. Everything's getting done, you know, and I think that that's the, sort of the main reason why she stayed home, yes. you know, to help run the flower shop because 
she couldn't, you know, she couldn't see Violet running the flower shop with her mom. Oh, yeah. You know, she and, and as we see in flashbacks, you know, Violet had a very contentious relationship with Jasmine. So, you know, the two of them would not have done very well, you know, as as they got older. And but like for but for me, I, I love the character of Poppy throughout the series because she's, you know, um she's the the nice neighborly wife. You know, yeah, and it, and her husband has no idea that she's a, like quote, like almost like a deadly assassin. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's the whole thing is is you know all of these sisters, this whole family has secrets. Yes, and and there's a lot of um, there's there's sort of a lot of conflict between yes. te- you know telling lies and secrets and having these lies and secrets. And, um, you know, if you, if you do them out of necessity, which is, which is basically what their mom tells them, their mom almost kind of, if you think about it, the mom kind of manipulates and brainwashes them into having this, like, don't trust anybody kind of idea. And, you know, Jasmine really basically tells them, you know, you've got to lie to the people that you love because that's the only way, you know, life is going to work, you know, so Poppy has, she might not have straight up lied to Derek, but she certainly did not tell him everything, you know, the, the amount of information that he, that he had was a lot less. And, and, and there's even a conversation between Poppy and Rose where Rose says, how much does he know? And she says more than I'd like, but not as, not as much as, you know, he should kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But it's it's great. Um, I love this story because to me, you know, like you it, like you said, it's, it's about a relationship. As to me, it was a relationship between the three sisters, you know, coming together to solve their their mom's murder, ja- their mom Jasmine's murder. What I really love was just the 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 fighting and the bickering at each other. It was real. It felt real. Like I'm, I like, I'm oh. one of three, so <laughs> <laughs> so there there were definitely things that were taken from conversations uh, with uh, with my my siblings. Um, yeah, I mean, I I have always been considered very, I guess, economical when it comes to a lot of dialogue. But I mean, to the point where it was a detriment. Like I would get notes from editors being like, "You got to put more dialogue here. This you know this isn't a silent comic." Yeah. Um, so I've gotten more, I've gotten better about adding more dialogue and, and really sort of leaning into um, some of the, the, I, you know, the, the expressions on these characters' faces. And I think, I think Carilla does a really good job of acting in the faces and, and really getting the emotions out because this is a very emotional story. You know, um, these three sisters, you know, they're sisters. They, you know, it's, it's that idea of, you know, you're my sister, so I have to love you, but I don't have to like you, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, and that's kind of the idea behind this. But I mean, and, and you've read the story, you know, you know, the ending and everything. Um, there's a lot of hope for them um, with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think there, there, there were many different ways that I could have ended this story. And multiple people have said to me, this is not the ending that I saw. Yes. Um, but I wanted it to be, it's a tragic story. Mm-hmm. It is. 
I mean, it starts with with the the murder of their mother. That's that's a tragedy just off the bat. So I wanted it to be them growing closer at the same time as growing apart, you know. And and grief can really do a number on people, you know. Um, one of the things that I have to say, one of the I won't say one of the good things, but you know, one of the positive outcomes of my dad's passing was that my brother and I became so close from it. Um, and we wouldn't really have, have, have gotten that close had my father not had passed because we would have had no reason to get that close, you know? So grief can be a unifier Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. It can also pull people apart. Yes. Um, and, and I wanted to show that there is this push and pull between each sister. And also when you're one of three, there really is this, you know, it's always two ganging up on one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, um, you know, and, and, and that's, and, and, you know, one of the siblings will always sort of like change sides in a second, in mm-hmm. a heartbeat. And that happens. And that's just, you know, that's, survival in a family kind of thing. So I wanted to play with that, you know, two ganging up on one, whether it's Rose and Poppy versus Violet or Violet and Poppy versus Rose or, you know, whatever. Um, I wanted to show that that dynamic is real and that dynamic is there. Um, And you throw that into the mix of the trauma that these young women grew up in. Yes as well as just the trauma of losing their mom. You know, I mean, it's a cauldron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, yeah, just, I'm sorry about your dad passing away. Sorry about that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was several years ago. It was several years ago, but yeah, um, it's going on six years, but I, I do have to say that the, the experience of the grief of that is what helped bring my brother and I much closer. So if there, if there is a positive out of that experience and that, then, then my, I'm much closer to my brother now. That is the pol- positive I will take from it. That's, that's really nice. That's really good. Um, before I move on, I just want to ask one more question about the deadliest mm-hmm. book. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, actually, two more questions. Um, were, because when we talked the last year, because you had several stories, right, in mind? Were, were yes, you- I did. Okay, so originally, The Deadliest Bouquet was supposed to be three story arcs. Yes. So it was going to be a story that took place in World War II yes. um, with Jasmine's parents. Yes. And uh, Jasmine's parents were part of the French Resistance. And then the second story arc was going to take place uh, wh- after the war mm-hmm. when Jasmine and her brother are being trained by these former resistance fighters mm-hmm. and they're traveling all over the world finding uh, escaped Nazis. Mm-hmm. And then the third story was then going to be what we ended up coming out with, which is mm-hmm. this third generation yes. of, of, you know, of Rose, Poppy and Violent and and jasmine so that's so that was originally going to be the uh the idea um and i still have all of the the materials for those other two story arcs Mm -hmm. um but i haven't (laughs) excuse me Uh but i haven't you know started really you know organizing them and working on them so they are still they are still a possibility Mm -hmm. um 
so yeah, I mean, that was Grandma Dahlia who sort of makes a, a cameo in this book. Uh, Grandma Dahlia and Grandpa Leif, and then, you know, Jasmine and her brother Chris. And mm -hmm. then that was, you know, the sort of the center of the second issue. The second arc would be Jasmine and Chris. Mm -hmm. And then the third is the three sisters. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so I, 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 yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and then correct me if I'm wrong, the, um, the Deadliest Bouquet original graphic novel, it is available um, to buy from your website, correct? Yes, ericaschultzwrites.com. It is uh, available there if, uh, if you weren't able to get in on the Kickstarter. Um, also, I will be doing a show uh, in New York, Big Apple Comic Con on March. Let me check the calendar. I think it's the 26th. Uh, so I will have copies there as well. That's pretty cool. That's really nice. Um, and then let's see, I think... Um, Okay, so I'm gonna, slow, I'm gonna slowly start wrapping this up because I follow you on Twitter and I saw one of your tweets one day. How big of a fan are you of Transformers? Okay, I am a very big fan of Transformers. However, my husband is a bigger fan and he is a, a big collector of them. So I only have a couple of them. Yeah. And the couple that I have are in his collection. Mm -hmm. Like I've bequeathed them to him. Um, uh, and they're like my, you know, my old OGs from, you know, the, you know, 84. Um, but I know you're going to ask me about the movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am not a fan of Transformers, the movie, the 1986 film. I think it's 86. Uh, okay. Because of Optimus Prime's death. Uh-huh. Um, Oh, wait, spoiler alert, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the movie's almost 40 years old. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, I've, I think I've only seen one or two of the Shia LaBeouf ones. Oh, um, I, I think I saw the first and the second one. Yeah. And I think they're already up to like five or six. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I've only seen those two. You know, they're, they're action movies. Um, yeah. I wasn't like, I'm not going to trash them. It was just yeah. like, it was an action movie. To me, it didn't feel more, it felt less like a Transformers uh -huh. movie than it did like an action movie. Yeah. Like I felt like you could have plugged in the Transformers for any type of like alien. It didn't have to be Optimus Prime. It could have been anybody. Yeah. But it was an action movie, you know, it's a popcorn movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I only saw the first two. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I haven't seen any more of them and I know that they're like up to like five or six of them now. So yeah. yeah. I haven't kept up with them, sorry. No, I mean, no, because it, it seemed, you know, because you saw my notes is that, you know, for me, it's yeah. like, I only saw the first one and I, I really couldn't connect with Shia LaBeouf's character. I couldn't even connect to Megan Fox's character I, because I kept going, eh, no, it, it just didn't match. But, it, but it's a popcorn movie. That's yeah. It's just, it's just an action. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and that's the thing is, it's, it was just meant to be an action film and, you know, you could slap on, it could have been, you know, aliens from another world kind of thing. It didn't have to be specifically Transformers. Um, oh. Sorry. I, sorry. Sorry about that. No, I'm sorry. That's okay. I lost the sound on you. So yeah, sorry. So, what were, Can sorry. you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I mean, I just think that, you know, like you said, it's a popcorn movie. It's an action movie. It just wasn't really a Transformers movie. Um, I kind of, and I felt like 
I agree with you in the fact that it was it was difficult to connect with the characters. I didn't really feel like there was a, a good solid connection there. But also, I think the other thing was that um, some of the way the characters that we you know knew and loved, like Optimus Prime, I don't think was really Optimus Prime. Like he didn't feel like Optimus Prime. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, the the same actor was was um, voicing him, but the but there was something missing to the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and I didn't feel. I, and this is, I guess this is the best way I can, I can uh, explain it. It didn't feel like it had the same heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Okay. Um, no, no, but I'm going to say I understand because the first movie, it, it, you know, like, again, it's just an action movie. The only scene I love in the end when Optimus Prime says, um, or he says the tag, like, there's more to them than meets the eye. Yeah. I was the only yeah. Thing, oh my God, this is so great. But you know, it's the end of the movie, you know. <laughs> I did I did like I thought the Bumblebee movie was pretty good. Oh, okay. I'd never seen that one yet. Uh, I, I thought the Bumblebee movie was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um I think that um I think that it had first of all it had more heart. Mm-hmm. Um and I and I felt like the character that Haley Steinfeld played was more relatable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like she had a little more, she was more um, like accessible in the sense that like, you know, I felt like Spike and Megan Fox's character weren't very accessible, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, whereas her character was very accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if, if you get a chance, check that one out. I think that that one was, was, was pretty decent. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I, I mean, I remember hearing a lot of good reviews about it. I just haven't found the time to watch that one. So. Yeah, I, I would definitely say watch that one because that felt more like a Transformers movie than the, the other. And like I said, I've only seen two. Yeah. So the other two that I saw, that felt more, Bumblebee felt more like a Transformers movie rather than the, the other two that I had seen. Um, and it felt more, it, it, it definitely had more heart to it. And it definitely felt like, um, I mean, obviously it's not exactly what we had as a child, you yeah. know, but it felt closer to that yes. than the, um, than some of the other, um, the other live action ones. Yeah. Um, let's see. Have you ever met any of the voice actors from the cartoons at any of the conventions? I Whether you went as a creator or as a fan. I don't think so. I never went to BotCon when they used to do BotCon. I never mm-hmm. did that. Um, but I, I do have a friend who I think voiced a transform. I mean, my, my friend Jason Spizak does a lot of voiceover work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually on Arcane right now. He's doing uh, Silco, Silco on Arcane. Um, and I think he might have done a Transformers a, a Transformer or two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, uh, but I haven't like I I've never met any of the any of the original you know like Neil Ross or mm-hmm. you know Peter Cullen or Frank Welker or any of them. Um, I've never met any of the the original voice actors now. I'm gonna ask: Did you and your husband get that Hazlab Unicron? No. <laughs> I, you know, we, we didn't get any of the Haslab stuff. It's interesting. Haslab's been, been really a very interesting thing where they did the, the Sentinel, they yeah. did the Unicron, they did the Rancor. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, some of the things that they've put out, I'm just kind of like, 
six hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the Unicron was something like six hundred dollars mm-hmm. uh, or something ridiculous like that. So I was just like, that's that's nuts. Uh, he did get the Ark, though. I will tell you that he did get the Ark. Oh, I'm sorry. What is the Ark? I, I... Um, so the Ark is the in the cartoon the ship that's sticking out of um, the the mountain. Okay. Is that sort of orangey, you know, macaroni and cheese colored ship? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is called the Ark. That's the Autobot ship from Cybertron oh. that they fled Cybertron on. So they they retconned this in the comics, I think. Mm-hmm. So the Ark is now a transformer. Mm-hmm. So it is this, you know, pizza, large pizza sized uh-huh. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that transforms into a robot and the joints are very clicky and loud <laughs> and it's very heavy. And every time the cat jumps up onto the shelf, I'm terrified that it's going to fall. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm not terrified that it's going to fall and hurt anybody. I'm oh. terrified that it's going to fall and break because I that thing's like $200. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, you better not break that $200 toy that you bought. <laughs> Um, kind of thing. So yeah, but that wasn't a HasLab thing. That was something. That was something else. Um, mm-hmm. I th- it might have just been a Hasbro thing. But yeah, HasLab's been kind of interesting. Seeing what um, all the things that they've been putting up there. I think the Sentinel was was the one that really sort of caught my eye at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Unicron. Although the people who've gotten the Unicron, mm-hmm. they say it's just like it's almost unwieldy. It's like so big. It's like difficult to maneuver like you it needs like its own like desk <laughs> kind of thing because it's just like so huge yeah um so yeah so uh yeah but no he did not get that new unicron thank god <laughs> oh thank god but no we i mean we've got menasaur and we've got mm-hmm. bruticus and we've got superion and we've got uh uh, uh what's his name the Constructicons come together and make oh, Devastator. Um, and yeah, I mean, his office is not a small like space, but he's uh-huh. got like all these display cases that you walk into his office and it's just this like tiny little space. But like, you know, I remember when, when we bought the house, like walking, I was like, oh, this is a decent size office. And now it's like this tiny little thing because he's got all these display cases. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's the one who's really the collector. Um, I enjoy the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and IDW, I would love to write a Transformer story. I know I pitched a couple for Transformers Galaxies. I would love to nice. be able to do that, please. That'd be fun. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's also read like all the comics yeah. and, you know, kept up with, with everything. Awesome. So um, yeah, yeah. He's like the walking Transformers encyclopedia. <laughs> okay, so... I'm going to say whoever has the Transformers license right now. Oh, yeah, that's right, because IDW doesn't have it anymore. So, yeah, whoever has it now. Yeah. Is it Skybound, I think? Maybe? I want to say Skybound, yeah. Yeah, I think but so. Let's just say, after they hear this interview, you get a phone call from Robert Kirkman. <laughs> Skybound, call me. Yes. <laughs> Would you have a story ready to pitch for them? Oh, yeah. Ah, nice. Well, I have a story ready to go. You already pitched ideas, but. Well, you know what it is? I think that, I think a good story can go for pretty much any character. It's Mm -hmm. just the trappings. Like, what's the, what's the, what is the core of the story? Mm -hmm. Because there's that idea that, like, basically there's only, like, 
seven stories in this world and mm-hmm. it's just the only thing that makes things different are like the trappings mm-hmm. so you know you have boy meets girl okay boy meets girl everybody's done boy meets girl what is it that makes boy meet this this boy meet girl interesting well it takes place in 1941 paris mm-hmm. oh okay what else makes it interesting well she's jewish and he's an ss soldier mm-hmm. so that's what makes this uh an interesting boy meets girl as opposed to just boy meets girl at a mall or boy mm-hmm. meets girl, whatever. No, you set it in a time that is the, the background on which the story is unfolding uh, uh, automatically adds to conflict to the story itself. So I think any story that you can tell, you can tell with any character as long as you make sure that your characters, your plot, and your your world mm-hmm. sort of work very well together. I always talk about like character, plot, and world as being kind of like a three-legged stool. You want to make sure that all three are are supporting each other to be able to support your story and everything, and and really you know express to your audience what it is you're trying to say. I'm going to start wrapping this up. Um, <laughs> what is the most fun or cool thing you love working in comics? Um, I really love working with incredibly talented people. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky that I've worked with uh, so many um, importantly, you know, just incredibly amazingly talented, um, uh, collaborative, uh, caring people. Um, and I and and I like that. I like being able to bounce ideas off of each other. Uh, I like, you know, I like breaking a story, like finding out what's important. I like you know, he listening to the, you know, writing down a character and then listening to what it says back to me kind of thing. Um, I just, I like creating, I have to create things. And, and this medium and this career has given me the opportunity to do that. And I'm very grateful for that. That's really nice. Any closing words to our listeners? Um, just, you know, be good to each other, be kind to each other. This mm-hmm. world's a little crazy. So, you know, try and, try and be kind to, uh-huh. to, to one another and have patience with one another. And then, I'm sorry, I'm going to sneak this in. Again, um, your convention appearance in March, where is that going to be again? Um, it's going to be Big Apple Comic Con. It's at the New Yorker Hotel in Manhattan, um, and it is uh, March 26th. Okay. All right. Erica, mahalo. Thank you in Hawaiian for your time. Thank you for giving me another opportunity to interview. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking me to be on the show. It's, it's, it's always fun. I know it's always a challenge because of the big time difference and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but we make it work. And, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to, you know, sit down and chat and, and, and I, and I, and I like the fact that you like the stories that, that we're coming up with. So. But thank you very much. You know, um, I also want to wish you all the success with Forgotten Home. Thank you. Fire Lines in Blood and The Deadliest Bouquet. So, you know, I wish you all the success. Now, if you are a new comic book reader or a lifelong comic book fan, please check out Forgotten Home. That's um, from Dark Horse. Um, it's coming out on April 5th. Um, Byline in Blood, the Aftershock comic book series, uh, issue two, I believe, comes out on March 16th. And also, if you are interested in the original graphic novel, The Deadliest Bouquet, um, you can just go to Erica's um, website um, um, to um, purchase a copy from there. Um, 
I want to thank Drew, the co-host of Comics for Fun and Profit, for putting this episode together. So, Drew, thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. And thank if you, Drew. There you go, Drew. And then, and please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Thank you.